The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise first season episode, Vox Sola. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode. We have more of your great listener feedback. And I want to tell you about uh, that you could get your very own Secrets of Star Trek t-shirt or other merchandise by visiting sqpn.com slash merch with some special awesome art designs on them. And finally, another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy is The Secrets of Star Wars, which you can find wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. So, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of this episode of Enterprise? This week, Captain Archer and the Enterprise crew managed to royally offend some aliens called the Cretaceans who storm off the ship but they don't know why they offended them. As the Cretaceans leave, an alien life form that looks like a bunch of wet Japanese kanyaku noodles gets on board, and it starts growing and taking members of the crew into its web, including Captain Archer and Trip. It starts symbiotically linking them with its own nervous system, and if it isn't stopped, it'll soon completely absorb them. The rest of the crew responds with a bunch of side quests. Dr. Phlox reveals that the alien's nervous system is so advanced it's likely intelligent, so Hoshi and T'Pol start trying to figure out a way to communicate with it. Malcolm starts building a prototype force field that will let them get safely back into the part of the ship where the web is located, and Travis tracks down the Cretaceans, discovers why they were offended, apologizes, and learns where the home planet of the creature is. Eventually, they establish communication with the life form. It asks to be taken to a specific location on its home planet, and it lets Captain Archer, Trip, and the other crew members go. The End Notice how short this summary is compared to other shows, yes. including Lower Decks, indicating how simplistic the plot on this show are. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, that, that's a, a point I want to make, too. But, Father Corey, why don't you uh, give us your impression of this story? Yeah, it's an episode. Um, I mean, it basically, it was a, a build-up episode. It was a, a character-building episode for the the second-tier bridge crew. So you got... Mayweather, you got uh, uh, Hoshi, and you got Malcolm, at least got to kind of shine in the sun a little bit, along with Dr. Flox, who, I mean, he's always enjoyable to see, but Mm -hmm. it's just, it was just, uh, it was an episode. Yeah. Jimmy? Yeah, it was an episode. It was okay. (laughs) It wasn't terrible. It's, I mean, it's very far from being the worst I've seen this show yeah. do. That would, <laughs> that would be the final episode and also A Night in Sick Bay. Both of those mm-hmm. were absolutely horrible. <laughs> this was not absolutely horrible. It was, it was just, yeah, okay, I'd give it a five, you know. Um, I don't really understand what the title has to do with anything. Vox Sola means one voice in Latin and. I guess that has to do with this alien creature, but you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this is an eminently forgettable episode. I 
did not remember I, ever I'd seeing it before. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I did remember, I ever watch it in the first place? I barely remembered seeing them stuck in the Kanyaku noodles, you know, yeah. <laughs> but that was about it. Yeah, I didn't remember anything about this one. It's very weird and alien, so I'll give them mm-hmm. credit for that. This is yep. a very alien creature. Um, a lot of the individual action is good. It's okay. You know, I mean, it's the, but it just seems to lack something, you know, uh, the, just one voice. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, like the, yeah, no. when you put it all together, it just didn't have, I don't know the, what is needed for a good episode. It, I, it I guess. seemed like a bunch of vignettes kind of put together. You yeah. know, you had Hoshi dealing with her issues with DePaul. You had Malcolm dealing with his trying to get the, uh, the force, the, field. The force field working. Yeah. You had, you know, Travis got running the ship and getting to be a diplomat, you know, I right. mean, and you just kind of took these three different stories and crammed them together with lots of packing uh, plastic yep. wrap. Now, the one thing is uh, the gooey alien was too mm-hmm. gross for me. I just think, no, really? yeah, I, just, I mean, not like I was like, oh, I can't bear watching. It was just like seeing them, like seeing the actors covered in that goo mm-hmm. like i just made it gave me secondary embarrassment you know like <laughs> oh that just looks so awful to endure oh. <laughs> for such a mediocre episode I, yeah I, I thought the alien was one of the better things about mm-hmm. the episode it was nice yeah. to have an alien made out of snot ribbons for once it was <laughs> it was very different it yeah. really did look like they were being eaten by giant Japanese kanyaku noodles. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I liked the alien. I, I, I noticed I, strategically it always covered their faces last. Yes, yep. yes, yes. I, 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 I thought it looked like they went to their shipping department and grabbed all of the packing plastic wrap. Yes. And, and just, that's what they made the alien out of. They just wrapped <laughs> them all up in that plastic wrap. Keep wrapping them. Covered in Elmer's glue. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, we do have some classic uh, enterprise problems, which is like communicating without a universal translator or mm-hmm. at least a functional one. Um, and I do like the fact that that opening scene with the Cretacin, where we've offended them somehow and we have no way of knowing how we have done so. And we can't, you know, we, we they, they're storming off and we can't stop them. Like that, you can imagine that must have happened a few times. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually it's happened in human history. Uh, and in fact, I have a note that it would be interesting to see this played from a human perspective, where where we meet some aliens and the aliens do something so offensive that our heroes just storm out and the aliens mm-hmm. are like, what did we do wrong? Yeah. Um, that would be more interesting than this was. Um, not that this was uninteresting. It's just I think that would be more interesting from a writing perspective. Mm-hmm. But there have been such things. It turns out when Mayweather finally talks to them. They were offended by the fact we ate in public. Mm-hmm. Uh, they consider the act of eating a very personal, intimate thing like we consider sex. And so for us to put food in our mouths in public w- in front of them would be like people stripping down and having sex in front of you, which yep. you know would be – I mean, actually, human diplomats could be trained to – not freak out and leave but um but yeah. ordinary people would freak out and leave mm-hmm. yeah. and and there have actually been um i'm aware of an incident where from human history where something like this happened um there's a a youtube channel that i sometimes watch i think it's called voices from the past and it's a channel where they take a text that someone in history wrote, and then they read the text to give you a perspective from mm-hmm. what someone in history had on an event. And so they had a text that was written by Aztecs. 
and it was about first contact with the Spanish. And so they have these Spanish explorers coming in and they want to, the Aztecs want to honor them and greet them and make them feel welcome. So they serve a feast and, you know, they're like, okay, so we brought the food, we put the blood of our human sacrifices on the food to honor the Spanish and the Spanish like totally freaked out. Hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, um, I would totally (laughs) freak out, too, if you put blood of a human sacrifice on my food. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. So uh, and one of the things that this this scene highlights, you know, introduces again is the ongoing story of Hoshi Sato's insecurities about her abilities. This Mm -hmm. is a ongoing issue with the character. I think they begin to resolve that. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. after this, they don't really do much yeah, with that is, anymore. This is kind of the end of that. And part of it is to Paul basically saying, you know, you're, you're the best option. You're the one we would want for this kind of job. Right. And the you only know. reason I give you a hard time is because I know you're capable of doing the job um, better. Not, not give you a hard time, but hold you to a high standard. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and so, I'm glad this is it because it anymore and this would just start to become annoying. I, mm-hmm. It's like I, I found it unpleasant in general. You know, you're in Starfleet. You're, I mean, I know she was recruited from a civilian job, so she's not really Starfleet. But I, I don't have yeah. a problem with Hoshi feeling like I'm out of my element here. And it's a first season problem and it needs to be just a first season problem. Right. They mm-hmm. shouldn't continue it into later seasons. Yeah. Uh, I find the least. Um, uh, accurate but the least believable part of this whole episode is the idea that water polo would become a big college sport that people would want to watch i just don't i don't buy i don't buy it well archer only watched it because he played it i mean he talks about how he was in the the regionals and things like that but no it's i I, they i want i I want to know where they got the actual footage because that was you know obviously that was real footage yeah 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 but i i want to know you know where they got it because i'm sure it's one of those things you know you've got the the pack 10 or pack 12 net channel and the big sky channel and big sky conference channel and all that they probably just pulled it off of one of those yeah Uh, i I wouldn't be surprised if there was a real stanford versus texas match that they that they it put up there that would be kind of funny I, yeah how many colleges actually have water polo <laughs> yeah really oh by the way where did the snot alien get all of its mass from when it filled that cargo bay yeah. well did you notice it got very cold in there no just kidding <laughs> yeah <laughs> not yes. gonna do it not enough <laughs> kinetic energy for this well nope. should, should we talk talk about the fact that how did the alien get in oh yeah they didn't make sure the uh the, the door was shut <laughs> door shut before that the connector uh, yes. pulled back the, the space uh, lock yeah the, yeah the the bridge from the cretacean ship disconnected before the airlock was shut like people you gotta do you gotta follow procedure this is if you don't follow procedure bad things happen and you, you get snot aliens coming in well it just yeah. even in general like there's a whole there's a reason there are two doors on an airlock right. <laughs> for, for for safety's sake you don't want to get sloppy here and that that was sloppy That's, this is on uh on, on archer and his crew getting sloppy oh there's this trip that was running the Airlock, yeah. so yeah. If you do that, you also lose precious atmosphere into space. Yes, you do. Um, so, uh, just a little. I always like to point out when interesting actors show up who we know from other things, and uh, the the engineer Kelly. Mm-hmm. 
uh, who you know the, from other things. We in the uh, in the expand. Well, some people. Dom some people use, will, just a note for the listeners. Dom uses the royal we. Yes. Well, I think we, as in other uh, listeners, may also recognize mm-hmm. her because Kelly is Renee Goldsberry, who f- people may know her from such roles as Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton. Uh, mm. As well as some other things that she's done recently. Yeah, um, I, I hate to say, at least as far as this panel is concerned, Dom, it, it, this is definitely the royal <laughs> we being used. I, I have not <laughs> seen Hamilton. I really don't have a desire to, to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, she, she's also been recently in um, uh, She Hulk and some other things. But so, but uh, oh, just, another d- thing I'm not planning on seeing. <laughs> I know. So uh, a very early role for her in this uh, one. This early in her career, which is fun. I actually plan to see Hamilton. I just haven't got around to it. <laughs> I've seen it in person. I've gone to the mm. theater. Uh, cool. So, um, what we have here is we got a standard alien comes aboard and wreaks havoc story, right? There's mm-hmm. it's sort of by the numbers, like we said. There's not much to to say about it. Um, Hoshi wants to communicate it. Reed wants to kill it. It's, we're kind of going off of their personality types that we've established early on. Um, uh, interestingly, to Paul, actually, her first instinct is to go with Malcolm. Yeah, which that's that true. is against her character, really. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not. It's unusual for her. Um, we have finally the introduction of force fields, which I find to be kind of silly that they, if a warp five ship should have shields because micrometeorites would destroy the first ship as soon as it launched. <laughs> you know, you just that's why you polarize the whole plating. It oh, reflects right. them or something. I, f- you know. I forget. I forgot that. Well, yeah. and of course you've got the well. Starfleet's been working on this for five years, and they're eighty percent done, but it's not quite there. So of course Malcolm will get it done in two hours in, in the little workshop on board the Enterprise. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he did say he'd already been working on it, but right. right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's okay from a writing perspective, getting to see the introduction of more familiar technologies. Mm-hmm. I just wish they took the the absence of force fields more seriously, because it's very clear that even though they tried to impose technological limitations on themselves for this series, as soon as battle starts, it's polarized the whole plating, and that's just a substitute for shields up. Yep. Right. You know, right. it's like, come on, guys, we need more than a verbal redress here, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, but, uh, but you know, it was okay seeing them do that. I where, what, what I thought was funny slash stupid is they've been shooting this, the snot alien with phasers and mm-hmm. with their phase pistols, which are mm-hmm. prototype phasers, and they, they're not doing anything to it. But then Dr. Phlox comes up with a sustained burst of EM radiation may be enough to stun the creature. And it's like, what do you think phase pistols are emitting? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, that's not EM? Really? Yeah. That's not electromagnetic? You're shining a strong light on them because that's also in the EM <laughs> spectrum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they show that the light is what causes it. Yeah. It's really weird. Like, yeah, it's I mean, so I mean, I nonspecific. Can, yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine that maybe phase pistols are shooting charged particles of some kind, but there's still guys were working with electromagnetics here. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The the writing was fell down on that one because that yeah, EM radiation is just too broad of a of a. Yeah. Of a uh, I, I at this point I was in the story. I was thinking when as they were as it was um, integrating. Uh, Trip and Tucker and and uh, the other guy, um, the red shirt. 
um, who Rostov. didn't die. Rostov. Yeah. Um, it was interesting that uh, Kelly gets no lines. She's basically unconscious the entire time. Rostov yep. gets to at least have a few lines. Uh, it, I thought it was interesting that the that the creature doesn't eat people; it integrates them into itself. Mm-hmm. It, abs- yep. it, uh, it absorbs, it absorbs them. Yeah, it's uh, sort of an absorbable off, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> where well, the faces still appear, and and they, it, I would prefer this absorbable off to the one on Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> yes, um, the so they eventually try to say it's uh, it's. It, it it's basically one organism that covers the surface of its entire planet. Mm-hmm. And the great link, if you will. Yeah. It's like, the, <laughs> it's like the great link. Yeah. And it, when it's part of it is detached from the great, like the great snot link, <laughs> which the other one also kind of looks like yep. um, it, it reaches out to bond with whatever's available. Right. And so for some reason it didn't try that with the Cretaceans, but it does with the humans. And then it wants to get taken back to one specific location mm-hmm. on its planet because it gives them latitude and longitude. How they figure out that, I don't know. I'm not sure where the lo- zero longitude you're going to get yeah. is. <laughs> how, do you, how do you know where the zero coordinates are? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and how do you know what the range of numbers are? They may not be doing the 360 based thing that we do. Right. But they somehow figure that out. I can give that to them because there'd be ways potentially to figure mm-hmm. that out. But if this is if this is a hive organism, if it's just one big thing, what does it care where it gets put down? <laughs> right, right. It wants to be next to its its uh its companion hive organism bits. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That <laughs> would it, that would imply there's some kind of differentiation. If it wants to go to this location in the organism, that implies there's differentiation between different parts of the organism and right. it wants to go be with its buddy parts. Yeah. I, I do like the fact that they didn't gloss over the fact that they the the piece that Flocks had in his uh, in the lab uh, also got brought back. Like, the, yeah. like they brought back yep. all the pieces, so that was that was good. I think they, it didn't absorb the Cretacens because they're better at their procedures and close their airlocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Be, well, it because yeah. it, it, they had landed on the planet, they, right, and it got cut off when they landed yeah. on the took off from the planet, so it got stuck to it. Um. Uh, Archer's uh, always one of the things that comes up in when Archer and Trip are stuck in the goo. The goo is um, Trip is like, well, how come you? How can you be so positive? And Archer, his philosophy is, um, you he 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 firmly believes in his bones that every game can be win can be won no matter how far behind. Um, as soon as you give up, the game is lost. Um, He's essentially that's the Tom Brady philosophy. Oh, which, I, I was I was gonna say so. Uh, Archer is the to- celestial toy maker. Oh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or the doctor that Missy points out. The doctor always assumes he's going to win. I mean, yep, she and right. Clara had that conversation. That's right. Um, there's a. But by the way, you're you're referring to an aspect of the show where as they're in the snot. Yep. And I, I say that deliberately because I know it'll make you uncomfortable, Dom. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> the, they, they're, as they're in the snot, their brains are getting linked up. Their, mm-hmm. their nervous systems mm-hmm. are getting linked. And they're starting to share thoughts. So, like, um, Trip has a thought that the goalie for the water polo game is bad at his job because he keeps his arms too far underwater. And I thought this was interesting but then they don't play it the way they sh- could have and the way that I would have predicted they would, which is they establish communication through the humans getting linked. 
Right. Because right. the humans start sharing thoughts, but they don't start sharing the thoughts of the of the goo. Right. And you would you would think the goo would be interested in that, but actually the goo just seems the the human sharing thoughts seems to be an unintended side effect of what the goo mm. is doing to them. Mm. And it's basically holding them hostage. Yep. Because it lets them go as soon as it gets a promise to get taken home. It's like, okay, right. you know, it's yeah. like it didn't have an intrinsic need to bond with them. This seems like a de- this seems like deliberate hostage taking. Right. Yep. Right. They they negotiated with the terrorists and that's <laughs> Yeah. And so, very screechy. You very screechy the communication. Oh, that, was, yes. that hurt. <laughs> yeah. So there is an uh ethics discussion between Flocks and Reed in the uh, mm-hmm. sickbay. Uh Malcolm wants to brute force the information out of the creature to, as a means to safeguard the crew. Yeah, yep. out of the tendril. Um, and whereas it flocks suits, you know, and regardless of whether it's a sentient creature or not, that's not really, Reed doesn't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, flocks says, no, it's an individual intelligent species that should not be tortured, and I'm not going to stand for it. We're, there'll be other ways to get the information, which apparently there were other yeah. ways yep. to, to, to get and, that. And flocks said, uh, look, I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm just not willing to help you do this. Right. We'll get and, you uh, the information you want, but we'll get it in a gentler way that doesn't involve torturing an intelligent creature. Right. Right. Malcolm was willing to take a shortcut. There was another option. And and I think it's good that the doctor kind of forced him on that, that the doctor forced him to take the other option. And they had an interesting – so that's kind of the moral dimension of it. But they also have a little interesting ethical discussion. The difference is ethics are like rules for applying moral principles. Um, whether or not the ethical rule is strictly moral is a separate question. But um, Malcolm tries to pull rank on Phlox and says, may I remind you I'm the superior officer? And Phlox says, not in my sick bay, not unless Car- Captain Archer says otherwise – and Malcolm's like, well, he's in the snot goo. He can't speak right now. It's like, yeah, duh. So I'm still yeah. in charge in my own sick bay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That's Yeah, that was a good um, Malcolm getting. Malcolm sometimes needs to get a little pull on the leash a bit. Yep. <laughs> he's a bit of the uh, the attack dog at times. Uh, so and and having having been required to take classes in ethics in experimentation. I I support the conclusion of Dr. Flox that this would not pass an institutional review board. Mm-hmm. If there's an easier way to get the information out of the snot tendril, you take the easier way. Right, right. You don't torture it. So yep. any other thoughts on this episode before we forget it forever, Father Corey? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, of course, we do have the, you know, so you get two crew members get snatched by this, by this mm-hmm. snot machine, snot thing. And then, of course, Tripp and the captain walk right up to it to then again get grabbed by it as well. Again, what Archer. else is new? Not doing well so. in this one, uh, Archer. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all. Uh, Jimmy, anything else? Nah, not really. Okay. Let's get to that feedback that we promised. There's uh, a lot this, of it. There's a lot. Yeah. we re- And it's awesome. I'm really glad to get feedback. Uh, this feedback. So uh, this is all on Return of the Archons, our episode 292. Uh, the first one comes to Rich on Facebook, who says, this is among my favorite TOS episodes, if not my number one. In part, this is nostalgia, as I remember this one most vividly from growing up. My best friend's older brothers talked about this one a lot. The religious imagery that Jimmy mentioned was not something I would have considered back then as a kid, but it's a very curious aspect of this. Thanks so much for covering this episode. 
And then, likewise, Sean on YouTube says, Wow, Jimmy, you weren't kidding. Now that you pointed out the anti-Christian slant of the episode, I totally see it now. Great show, as always. And then uh, another one with along the same vein, uh, MS on YouTube. As a kid growing up in the 70s, reruns of Star Trek were important to me until I discovered Doctor Who. I recorded the occasional episode on cassette tape from a black and white TV mm-hmm. I did listen that too. <laughs> and pre, listen to pre VHS. Pre VHS, yes. Uh, as they were playing in syndication. And uh, listen to them in bed, sometimes with a photo novel and flashlight, usually struggling to keep the pages from sliding out. You likely know what I mean if you had any. I, I, yes. I do. We should explain that for people who may not know. Uh, they came out with a series of about 12 books that were made from photographs of the episode. So it's kind of like reading a comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, they had they had photographs from the show walking you through the story and speech bubbles with speech, um, with, with spe- with speech yeah. bubbles. And so they, these were called photo novels and they were not excessively well bound. So <laughs> the, pa- the pages could fall out. Um, I don't recall Return of the Archons being one of those. I don't know that, that the listener said that it was, um, but there there were like 12 different episodes they did this for. Yeah. Nice. Uh, seeing this week's episode title, I groaned a bit, but immediately began watching and recalled my mixed feelings. When I was a boy, I enjoyed this one a lot. Also, Squire of Gothos, Balance of Terror, and Devil in the Dark were season one favorites. The haunting incidental music, the creepy gate of the locals, my shock at the debauch switch being flipped, and the deliciously bonkers bylar. Aya? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, You have to pronounce it Aya. Aya. Uh, but as soon as Jimmy mentioned the story could be viewed in a way that one scene could not be unseen, I knew precisely what he was referring to. When I was a new parent, I sat my son down in front of the TV to watch Return of the Archons with me when I was suddenly struck by the anti-religious allegory leaping off the screen right till the end. It irritated me, and I was put off. After listening to the podcast, I prayed for Gene Roddenberry, which is good a good for impulse. you. Good yeah. for you. Maybe it's time to watch this one again with the eyes of a child. Thanks for a great episode. P.S., did you notice Sulu and O'Neill wearing anachronistic clothing? Colonial, I think. Yeah. That, sh- that ship's historian, she never was very reliable. <laughs> yeah, it seems not. Uh, she she was thinking too much about Khan and so forth. Yes. Um, we will see her in our next discussion of a TOS episode, by oh, the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because um, if you look at everybody else in this episode on the planet, they're wearing like 19th century clothing, clothing and... And Sulu and O'Neill are wearing 17th century clothing. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little off. Uh, well, our next... By, by the way, sorry, comment to, 18th century clothing. 18th century, yeah. Yeah. By, by the way, you know, comment about recording the audio off of the, the broadcast. Well, that's why we have as much of the missing episodes of Doctor Who. That's why we have all of, of them. Yeah, yeah, because people recorded the audios. And so they can do the telesnap reconstructions and things like that based off or the um the animation that the bbc is doing now because they have the audios Mm -hmm. from the episodes so at least we've got that much there wasn't the bbc saving it it was the people watching the shows people literally hooked up tape recorders and and of course in early doctor who it was literally real to real tape recorders it wasn't even like cassette tapes Yep. You know, yep. but they recorded the audio of it. And so at least we have that much. We can at least hear yeah, the that's, episodes. That's what we had to do in order to enjoy our favorite shows after they were broadcast once. Once. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, Pirate Bay didn't exist back then, guys. Yep. And you've got, <laughs> that's right. If you're really fancy and rich, you had those nice eight millimeter cameras that you could point at the TV and record a little bit of it anyways, of right. the TV, right. of the video. Right. 
So uh, our next feedback comes from Chris S. via email. And Chris says, Peace and joy be with you all, Dom, Father Corey, and Jimmy. Tranquility and harmony to you all. I watched Return of the Archons in advance of listening to your review, and you literally hit everything I made a note of to email about, from pointing out that Kirk was the last to pass out, to the similarities to the Borg, the thinly veiled attack on religion, and the actor who appeared in the cage. So great job. My only remaining feedback is on the final cringeworthy scene of forced humor. Mm. I realize the goal is to end on a positive note, and this seems to have been a staple of 60s TV and most Star Trek episodes. Actually, at the beginning of the scene, I found Kirk's very quick dismissal of Lindstrom's update unintentionally hilarious. Having just destroyed the civilization's god, Kirk is done and seemingly couldn't care less. I do Mm. think it was an interesting writing choice to not have the final scene take place on the planet with Kirk giving a brief speech, building on his freedom isn't free theme, and wishing Lindstrom luck, and then beaming out. I think it would be hilarious if you began adding your own final scene to every review, in which Father Corey and Jimmy get into a forced argument over something, similar to McCoy and Spock, leaving you, Dom, to mediate as we fade to black and laughter ensues. I also think it would be very funny to have someone scream, Lawgivers, Lawgivers, every time Star Trek Discovery is referenced. <laughs> and I hope you all have a Merry Christmas, or as Gene Roddenberry might say, I hope you have an enjoyable, non-denominational, non-judgmental, and inclusive winter holiday. So. Well, thank you. I'm up for forced sketch comedy, um, but <laughs> I'm the Southerner, so which one of us, so between me and Father Corey, which one of us plays McCoy and which one of us plays <laughs> yeah. Spock? Exactly. I'll just be the I'll just be the guy that looks at the camera and shakes his head. Yeah, yeah. You can be Jim from the office. Yeah, it just doesn't even say anything. Yeah. Uh, Michael on YouTube, a very good discussion and analysis. I'm glad Jimmy highlighted Roddenberry's habit of having God-like entities in several episodes and V'ger in the motion picture. Thank you all. Look forward to the next one. And then finally, Felix on YouTube. Aren't Kirk and his crew lucky guys? They happen to beam at the exact location where the Landrew computer can be found at the right day and the right time when the festival takes place. We actually don't know how many festivals there are in a year. I suppose the ship's computer does a planet survey first to choose the best landing place. Basically, what the Federation does is provoke a coup d'etat by immobilizing Landrew and sending political or military advisors over to pick up the pieces. If it's true that there are millions or billions of people on the planet, I fear not, that not only the, that only the capital city will be democratically ruled, but the rest of the country and or planet will descend into anarchy, just like Kabul, Afghanistan situation, but on a planetary scale. So um, a couple of thoughts, and I'm trying to re- retrieve the first one. It was something that was mentioned very early in that email. Were they being uh, the lucky beaming the right oh, place at oh, the right oh. time? So so I assume, I, I mean, I think this one's fairly easily headcanoned because they, had, they, they went down to where Sulu and O'Neill mm-hmm. were, and presumably they had sent Sulu and O'Neill down to where they had detected some kind of anomalous technology. It's like this is the most technologically advanced place or something, and so that's why they put them down right. there. And that's where the Archon will likely have landed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, um, and it's possible, too, this is the largest uh, settlement of the planet. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the, also, we, I think we do know how, uh, how many festivals there are a year because after Tula gets raped, uh, her father is comforting her, saying that that's, that that it's all over for another year now, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're being very discreet about it, but that's what happened. Yeah, that's what they're exactly. implying. I wouldn't say that they 
provoke a coup d'etat. I would say they stage a coup d'etat. They mm-hmm. they cut off the head of the society mm-hmm. themselves. Um, and yeah, they better get federation advisor managers in there fast because <laughs> right. what's going to happen? I mean, everyone's been has been you know living in a blissed out state for their entire lives, so they've had enormous endorphin elevation their entire lives, and now that's gone. Wham! All those happy neurotransmitters crashing for everyone on the planet. You are going to have massive problems with depression, suicide, and the economy is going to collapse. People (laughs) are not going to go want to work. Their jobs are going to be too depressed and want to want to lay in their bed whimpering for Landrew. As we saw in Lower Decks, they uh, they bring him back. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they bring Landrew back. Takes a hundred and so years for that to happen, but yeah, yeah. So uh, thank you, Felix, and everyone for all your feedback. We do appreciate getting that feedback. And now, now, now I, I will say that all these people who said that they agree with Jimmy's take, that this is an anti-religious <laughs> message. Lawgiver! Lawgiver! <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So uh, now we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons. And make I, it possible. I, I, I did like the suggestion of every time Discovery gets mentioned, calling for the yeah. lawgiver. It's like discovery is not of the body (laughs) (laughs) i I would agree with that one discovery is not of the body yes uh so thank you to our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including grace b martin o kevin f mary g and bridget c their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star trek and all the shows at starquest and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. We'd love to know what you thought of this Enterprise episode of Vox Sola. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com. Visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Or leave a comment on YouTube, where you can watch The Secrets of Star Trek at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time, when we'll be discussing the TOS episode, A Taste of Armageddon. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aitken, thank you as well. Yeah, I'd like to send this Armageddon back. I don't think it tastes very good. But uh, (laughs) live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on Star Quest. Remember, now keep watching while Texas trounces your sorry California butts. <laughs>